You know, as we uh, we come before you, Father, at this particular time, it is our heartfelt desire that each of us here would uh, would make this service all about you. We come to you, Father, with different wants and and things that are going on in our lives. Um, last night, for instance, I prayed for a man who's just been told he has cancer. Um, uh, others that are having some problems with their families and we come for various reasons Father and you tell us that you already know these things you already know what it is that we want what we need you are more than willing Father to answer our prayers in your good time and so what we want to do Father if we could is to make this service all about you that we would learn about you become people who desire to follow you and that father we would just trust you in difficult times trust you and so lord we want to thank you from the very bottom of our hearts that we uh, have this privilege to come to you at this particular time would you please father in the name of our lord and in the name of our savior jesus christ would you hear our prayers of course and would you, Father, answer them in your wonderful time. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. If I, forgot to, if I forget to tell you, I want to tell you right up front that I love you with all my heart. I want to thank you for being here. It's, a, it's such a privilege to come and, and to have a chance to be with you guys. I wish I knew every one of you personally. I do. I, I told some, I tell people every week, I think I love you, you know, and once I heard somebody told me, you know, you're really a hypocrite. And I said, oh, wow, if you only knew. But they said, you know, you don't even know me, and yet you say you love me. And I, I, I try to explain, no, I don't, I don't love you. I, I don't love you to the fact like I'm going to go home with you. <laughs> you don't have to worry about that. I, I want to go home to Kay. I, I, that's my favorite. Um, but I love you because you helped me get into the Word of God. You're helping me grow into the man of God that, that I desire to be. I'm not there yet, but I'm moving in that direction. And it's because of you. It's because you, 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 you allow me to study the Bible. You allow me to, to, to understand, hopefully, the things of God so that I can, what I learn, pass along to you. And for that, I love you with all my heart. I can't love you anymore. And I said last week, and I... I thought it through before I said it. I thought it during the week, and I said, should I say this? Can I say this? Um, and I said last week that I, if I could, I would give my life for you. And, and I meant by that is if, if, if I could give my life so that you could have eternal life, I would. And that's not so much an expression of my love for you as it is the expression of my love for my Savior. I love him that much that I would love all of us to be able to experience the very joy of eternal life. And if you do not know him, it's our, 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 our passion for you to know him. And, and, and we can't force anyone to know him. That, that's your decision. So what we would like to do is in the process of that is like to be able to example to you, to show you what, what Christianity looks like within the four walls of this church. And that gets us to where we are in this particular study. We're, we're studying through the book of Revelation. And we are in the second chapter. And we're looking at seven churches. We've looked now at three of them. And we are now going to look at the fourth. 
we looked at the church at Ephesus, and we saw that the one thing that the Lord had against them in verse 4 of chapter 2 was that they had left their first love. And then we saw the church at Smyrna, and at the church at Smyrna, the Lord had nothing against that particular church. They had gone through difficulty, trials and persecution, and they held up into that in, during that. Then we came last time to the church at Pergamum, and Pergamum became worse than the, the church at Ephesus. And the Lord said to this church in, in verse 14, I have a few things against you. And now we come to the church at Thyatira in verse 18 through verse 29. As we did last week, we'll take a couple weeks looking at this church because you cannot condense all that's in this church and all that we need to learn through the churches throughout the world today in, in one setting. Um, we need to uh, take our time with it. Also, what I'd like to ask us to pray for is uh, some of the women of our church, the younger women have gone on a retreat. And I'm, I'm hearing uh, little bits in here and there that it's uh, really been successful. They left and they're coming back today. Karen Thompson is teaching and, and they're having this, uh, this retreat. And I, I really pray that they'll come home safely. If you would pray for them, I would appreciate it. And that, that God will really bless them. And, and also I pray that God will, will, will bless us as we study through this amazing example of a church that really has gone haywire. And we'll see how and we'll, we'll see why in a moment. Would you read with me, please, verses 18 to 29. And I, I almost dread reading this because it's so... Um, well, it's, it's, there, is a, there is a glimmer of hope in it. And in fact, more than maybe a glimmer. But there is within this church, as we've been trying to teach you, that it has interwoven itself into the world. There has become compromise and then tolerance. And within this church, this is what has happened, but it's happened much more strongly than it did at the church at Pergamum. It says in verse 18, To the angel of the church at Thyatira write, The Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet are like burnished bronze, says this, I know your deeds, your love, your faith, your service, your perseverance, and that your deeds of late are greater than at first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and she teaches and leads my bond servants astray so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. Verse 21. I gave her time to repent. And she does not want to repent of her, of her immorality. Behold, I will cast her upon a bed of sickness, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of her deeds. Verse 23, a terrible verse. I will kill her children with pestilence. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and the hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your deeds. Verse 24, but I say to you, the rest who are in Thyatira, who do not hold to this teaching. 
who have not known the deep things of Satan, as they call them. I place no other burden on you. Nevertheless, what you have, hold fast until I come. And then the reminders, verse 26, 27, 28, and 29. And to one who overcomes, who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron, and the vessels of the potter are broken into pieces, as I also have received authority from my Father. And I will give him the morning star. And then as he says to all the churches, verse 29, To him who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Before we pray for uh, this particular reading and and the women who are on the retreat, I I want you to notice, as we mentioned last week about um, repentance, I I told you that last week we really need to understand that word. That, That word simply means to turn away from. In other words, if you're going in this direction and this direction is taking you into sin, you you know it, then you must turn from it. You must move away from it and move towards God. And we used last week the, the, the life of Joseph and Potiphar's wife to just give you an example of what, how you deal with sin. He fled from it. You, you can't sit and reason with sin because Satan, who is behind it, is much more wiser and much more powerful than you or me. And so we must flee. We must flee from it. And as you'll note today... Our Lord says, and, and it's just an amazing verse. He says, I, I, verse 21, I, I gave her time to repent, but she would not. And so he says at the end of verse 22, he says, they will go into great tribulation unless they repent of her deeds. And so we really under, need to understand that word repentance. and We need to know what it means to just stay away from sin, not to compromise and not to tolerate it. And so today, what we are going to talk about is that aspect of, of, of their tolerating sin within their midst in the church at Thyatira. But in the midst of it all, as we're going to explain in verse 19, they had love they had faith, they had service, they persevered, and, and, and they grew. Their deeds of late were greater than the deeds at first. And so they were a, a group of them within this church that had intertwined itself with the world. There was a group who were growing. And so he asks them, as he says in verse, what is it, verse uh, 25, Nevertheless, I want you to hold fast to what you have until I come. I want to do that. I want to be that type of a person. I want to hold fast to the things of God until he comes. And I want that for you more than, more than I can ever express to you. So let's pray and then let's watch, see what the Lord has to say to this place in Scripture. And We're going to take the softer part this week, um, just uh, so you'll know. Dear Father, please, We beg of you that you might open up our eyes that we might behold wonderful things from your law. We pray, Father, that you would move me aside so that we might hear from your heart. We might see what it is you are saying to this particular church, the church in Thyatira, and and compare it with the church at Ephesus and, 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 and the church, Father God, in Smyrna. 
and the church at Pergamum. And we might see the things that, that they did correctly and incorrectly, and we might follow after the things which are good and cast aside those things which are, are not for us to do. And Father, I want to pray for the women at the retreat that you would bless them, really give them a great, great, wonderful time and bring them home safely, Father, uh, filled with the Spirit of God, filled with your love. I pray these things in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. Well, let me say to you the obvious. There's absolutely nothing that will destroy a church quicker than to compromise with the world's system and to allow a tolerance of sin within either the church or within our lives. Any of this type of lifestyle will become detrimental to, to us as a group of believers. It'll, 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 it'll chip away at our harmony. It'll chip away at our peace, our joy. And it'll chip away at the power that God wants to pour upon our lives. Unless, unless the sin is dealt with sternly through repentance. And that's why we, 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 we gave the example of Joseph. Now, Joseph was a godly man. He hadn't done anything wrong. That wasn't the point. He wasn't repenting from something he did wrong. He was just teaching us how to deal with sin. And he didn't stay there and reason with Potiphar's wife. He, he left her, his robe behind and he fled. He just ran away from her. We are told by James, a very interesting verse in James chapter 4, verse 7. James says, submit to God. In other words, flee. If you're going to flee anywhere, flee to him. It says, resist the devil, and he, the devil, will then flee from you and me. Well, sadly, in Pergamum, they compromised and they had a tolerance of sin, but worse, in Thyatira, it, it, it gets more intense. Now, I told you before, Satan will use normally two weapons against Christians, at least here in these examples. One was the, the idea of fear. In other words, he will bring trials into your lives. He will bring uh, persecution. Or he will bring in pleasure. And we said that, that we have seen here so far that he, Satan has more success using the sin of pleasure within a believer's life to take us down rather than fear. Fear and trials normally put us to our knees to where we ask God, help us out of this. But pleasure, we seem to go our own way when things are going well. So it is with Thyatira. It's a small but beautiful city. It's a uh, city that was very much known for its commerce. It, 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 it made fabrics and had... Uh, Made, uh, they knew how to do dye, how to dye fabrics into these beautiful colors. As a matter of fact, in the books, book of Acts, Acts, the 16th chapter, there was a woman by the name of Lydia who was from Thyatira who sold expensive fabrics that were dyed a very wonderful, lovely purple color. She became a Christian through Paul. And tradition tells us it is believed that she helped begin the church at Thyatira when she went back, converted into a believer. Well, sadly enough, the church in Thyatira became one of the most corrupt that we have seen so far. But I want you to see the glimmer of hope within this church. First and foremost, I want us to take a look at, at verse 19 
The Lord says in verse 19, I know of your deeds. I know, he says, of your love. I know of your faith and your service and your perseverance. And I know that your deeds of late are greater than the deeds that you did at first. In other words, you're growing. Then he says in verse 24, after saying that there's a group that are following following the, the teaching of this woman Jezebel and but he says in verse 24 I say to you I say to you the rest who are in Thyatira who don't hold to to her teaching who have not known the deep things of Satan as I call them or as they call them the Lord says he says I place no other burden on you nevertheless he says what I want you to do is that you will hold fast Hold fast to the things of God until I come, the Lord says. You know what that tells me? And it should tell you as well. That no matter what others may do, this society in which we live today, it is, it is decadent. There are things going on in this world in which we live that, gosh, it's just... You can actually see us kind of sinking, sinking, sinking deeper, deeper into this area where the things that used to be good are, are now considered bad. And the things that we used to consider bad are now tolerable. They're, they're considered fine, good, okay. And so I see that the Lord says, I want you to hold fast until I come. And that tells me that no matter what this world might do, my call is simple and pure. I am to hold fast to the things of God until He calls me home or until He comes. Well, He, he starts this chapter, not chapter, this, this part about the, the church at Thyatira He starts it off with a bang. He says in verse 18, To the angel of the church of Thyatira write this, The Son of God. Now this is the only time that he uses this magnificent title of his in the whole book of Revelation. He says, The Son of God says this, The one who has eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet are like burnished bronze, I say these things, Immediately, Jesus uses his most awesome title, the Son of God. Make no mistake about it. He is God Almighty, Jesus. And he is the one who is speaking to the churches and to us. And so to heighten the one who has given forth this message, the Son of God, he mentions his eyes, who are like a a flame of fire, and his feet, which are like burnished bronze, now, now we, we studied that somewhat in chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. It mentions his feet and his eyes. And so what John does here is, is lay claim not only to the deity of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, but also he shows his scrutiny and his, his judgment that will come upon those that don't listen to him. We are told his eyes see all. In verse 23, for instance, in the middle of that verse, it says, I am he who searches the minds and the hearts. I want you to turn to what King David says about our Lord in in Psalms 139. Please hold your place here and find back in the middle of the Old Testament, the book of Psalms. Turn to Psalms 139, please. 
a great, great, great psalm. I, I won't read it all, but I want to read parts of it. And I would encourage you, if you have the time, to just kind of read through it. See the promises that God gives to, to us through, through King David. He says in verse 1 of Psalms 139, O Lord, you've searched me and you know me. You know when I sit down and you know when I rise up. You understand my thoughts from afar and you scrutinize my path and my lying down. You are intimately acquainted with all of my ways. Listen to verse 4. David says, even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, you know it all. You've enclosed me behind and before. In other words, you've surrounded me with your protection. And you laid your hand upon me. And then he blurts out in verse 6, This knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's, it's too high. I, I can't even obtain it. Do you ever feel that way when you study the Word of God and you, you read something and you say, Gosh, this is more than I can comprehend. This is a promise that I don't even, I don't even know. God promises to me all of this. And, and David says, it's too wonderful for me. It's, 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 it's too high. I, I can't even attain to it. He says, where can I go from your spirit? You're everywhere. Let's, let's jump to verse 13. I love that. Because he says, you formed my inward parts and you weaved me in my mother's womb. I am, he says, fearfully and wonderfully made. That's you too, folks. That's all of us. And then I think probably the most famous of this particular place in Scripture in Psalms 139 is verses 23 and 24 where, where David says, Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. I, I've, I've prayed that before. You know, you know just... You know, just like, for instance, if I say that I love you, and then someone comes up and says, you know, you're very hypocritical. You don't even know me. How can you tell me you love me? I think, gosh, I, I, meant, I meant that really kind. I, I meant that for good when I said it. And, 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 and so you never know. Sometimes you'll say something that, that just doesn't come out right. Search me, dear God. Know my heart. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there's be anything that I might say that might be hurtful or harmful and lead me in your everlasting way. Well, what we get out of Psalms 139 is that there is absolutely nothing, no, absolutely nothing that escapes the authority and the judgment and the sight of God. And so it appears if we go back to Revelation chapter 2 and verse 18 and so, it appears that God desires Thyatira and us to recognize who it is who is going to judge them and who sees all that they do, if they do not repent, it is the Son of God. And then in verse 19, Jesus says to this church, to us as well as to them, what he says to all the others. In verses 2, verses 9, verse 13, I know, he says, I know. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13, we are reminded that there is nothing hidden from his sight, all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him to whom we have to do. God knows all that we do. But one thing we see in this particular church, the church at Thyatira, is that it had wonderful possibilities. 
They had love. They had faith. Verse 19. They had service. They had perseverance. They grew. They were growing. Their deeds of late were greater than the deeds at first. And so we see that it is possible to have a thriving church in the midst of disobedience and yet still have disobedience within its four walls. And if that doesn't scare you or me, then I don't know what will. To compromise and to tolerate sin should scare every believer in every church and in every life. Let's take a look at what they had because it's important. Verse 19. First and foremost, they had love. I think within a church, the, the greatest of all is love. And, and what they had was a love, a love for one another. Jesus said in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, in fact, I put those verses to memory because I felt like it was important. I, I, I tell people I love them. I unashamedly will tell a person I love them. Even some people that I've just met, and they... You know, it kind of arches their back, I think. I, I know sometimes I make people uncomfortable. And for that, I'm sorry, but I want to tell the people I love them. I do. I love them in the love of Christ. In fact, there was a friend of mine that I had the privilege of leading to Christ. And he and I were really good friends with this third party who was an atheist. And this atheist is a dentist, very smarter than both of us put together. And he's just a great guy. And he watched us as an atheist and... Just recently, he has given his life to Christ. Watching my friend and me, how we love one another, and I unashamedly tell my buddy I love him, and now he tells me he loves me. And, and, and this dentist, when I call his office, his name's Tommy. And I ask the people that work with him there, and the ladies, I said, listen, I know he's busy, but would you tell him I love him? And I know, it, it, I, at first I heard them, you know, they like gasped. This is, uh, this is an amazing story to me. I think it was two weeks ago. I'm not sure the time, but it seemed like a couple, maybe two, three weeks ago. Time just flies for me. He calls me, this dentist friend of mine, Tommy, who now has Bible studies in his home, who's an atheist. He has a, and, he, and, he's, and he's, he, he's in, he can't get enough reading about the Bible. And he talked to me the other day and he says, you know, John, you, you, since I've known you, you've told me you love me. He says, tell me what you mean. And so I did. And he said, I want to say something to you that I've only said to my wife. He says, I want to tell you I love you. Now, you have to know this guy. He was not kidding when he said that. That wasn't an exaggeration. He never told anybody apart from his wife and me now, that he loves them. And I wept over the phone with him, and I said, Tommy, I said, that's the greatest privilege that anyone has ever given to me. Thank you for that. And I love you back in return, my friend. Having love for one another is one of the greatest things we can do in a church. You know, there are going to be people that are start coming to this church. They're going to maybe hear about the study of Revelation um, they're going to probably come because you have invited them, and they're investigating Christianity. And one of the, the dearest things that will bring them to Jesus Christ is our love for one another within these four walls. 
they will see a difference when they come here when we really truly love one another. In John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, Jesus said, I want you to love one another. And they must have asked him, what do you mean, how? And he says, even as I have loved you, so you should have love for one another. Then he said, by this, by the way you love one another, all people are going to know you're my disciples. You're a follower of me by the way you love others. It's important within a church. But let me tell you this about love, because we're going to see this from the book and in, in the, in the study of the book of the people in Thyatira. Love does not mean you tolerate sin within a believer's life. As a church, we are told, in fact, we are commanded to confront and rebuke and to discipline all believers who, who practice sin within their lives. Now, practice means to do it over and over and over again and, 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 and don't desire to repent. You see what Jesus says in verse 21. He says, I gave her time to repent. She doesn't want to. Therefore, I'm going to discipline her. As a church, we are commanded to confront sin within a believer's life. But we live in a society today that says, you have no right to tell a person how to live. They say, that's an invasion of my privacy. And it's legally wrong for you to concern yourself over another Christian's lifestyle. That's not true at all. And some believers, to their disgust and disgrace, have threatened to sue, and some have sued the church for doing what God has commanded the church to do. You know, true Christian discipline is not easy. But it is always done, if it is done with the right motive, for the other person's good. But it's difficult. It's difficult to convince someone of that truth who are in denial of, of doing anything wrong. I'll never ever forget, as long as I live, will I ever ever forget, I hope I never forget this. We were dis Our daughter Cassie was going through a tough time. She was just a kid. She was just tiny, young, 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 young. But knew, knew the difference between right and wrong. And she continually was doing what's wrong. And so I had to say, okay, upstairs, sweetheart. So we're going up towards her room, and I grab the paint stick, little thin paint stick. If you hit it too hard, it would broke. But I know I could go to jail for that today, I guess. So I'm taking her upstairs, and I'm thinking, I don't want to do this. I've had it. I've had it up to here with spanking her for, for, for doing wrong. I, I, I love this, this little girl more than life itself. I, I don't want to discipline her one other time. I've had it, Lord. And as I'm walking up the steps, I'm thinking, what am I going to do? And it dawned on me. I got upstairs and I looked her in the eyes and I said, Cass, you know you've done wrong, do you not? Yes, Daddy. I said, you know we need to discipline you for that, don't you, honey? Yes, Daddy. I says, but I'm not going to spank you, honey. I'm... I'm done with it. I, I don't want to spank you again for this. How many times am I going to have to spank you? But you know that someone's going to have to pay for what you've done wrong, don't you? Kind of went deep theological with her on that. And she went, you know, looked at me, and, and I said, so daddy's going to take your spanking. So I gave her the stick, and I lay down on the bed, 
And I said, whack me, honey, whack me good. And so she, she didn't want to. She started to cry. And I said, no, honey, someone has to be disciplined for what you did wrong. That's why Jesus Christ went onto the cross for us. He, he died for our sin. Someone has to be disciplined, honey, for what you've just done. So whack daddy. And she hit me and it wasn't very hard. And I said, no, make me sense that there was a pain for what I've done wrong to you. With that, we both started to weep. I mean, weep. I don't want to exaggerate. I, I think we laid in the bed holding each other, crying for about 10 minutes. I think if she was here today, she would tell you that it was one of the best lessons she's ever learned about sin and about doing wrong. And Discipline's not fun. It's not fun. But it must be confronted within the family of God. But I want you to note that I said discipline believers. As a Christian, you and I have absolutely no right to confront a non-believer over their sin. No, you know what we're to do? We're to lead a non-believer to Jesus Christ and allow Him to change their hearts. Let me tell you something that's a deep truth here. To change a non-believer's heart from sinning without leading them to Jesus Christ is a disservice to them. And you know why? Because they might end up thinking all they need to do to be right with God is to do something rather than believing in Him. Let me say that again. They might think that all they need to do to be right with God is to do rather than believe. And so our job is to first bring a person to Jesus Christ and then let Jesus Christ do the changing of that life, of that person from within. He's done it to you, hasn't it? He? He's done it to me. I promise you He has done it with me. He's changing me from within. That's His job. Because when Jesus changes you and me, that change will normally be permanent if, if, if we will continue to walk and grow in his, his light and in faith in Him. So to love one another here in Revelation means that we will confront sin. And Christian, you and I are never ever to tolerate sin either in our own lives or in the life of another believer. Well, they also had faith, verse 19. In other words, they held on to the things which were right and true. They had faith in Jesus Christ. That word faith also could be translated faithfulness, which means they had a commitment to their faith. In other words, true faith will lead to the third thing seen in verse 19. Love, faith, and service. Service translates here to mean deacon, which indicates they voluntarily helped serve within the church. We are taught in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, we're God's workmanship. That means his poem, so to speak. And we've been created in Christ Jesus, the Bible says, for good works, which God has prepared beforehand. And for what reason? So that we would walk in them, in these things, these good works that He has prepared for us. 
So in other words, they didn't need to be forced, nor told, nor begged to serve God. No, they, they, volunteered, they volunteered to help serve so as to build up the body of Christ. As Ephesians 4.12 explains, God gives some within the body for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, so as to do things within the body of Christ, so as to build up the body of Christ. I mentioned in the first service, and I won't embarrass him this time, uh, Jeff can, I just did it. But I, I, I've, I've watched this young man, and I'm, I'm so in love with him as a, as a Christian man. To watch him serve the Lord on Wednesday morning at our breakfasts, and then come here and, and use his gift that I believe is truly a gift that he has to do our announcements. And I'm just so proud. Nobody had to force nor, nor beg him to do this. He volunteered. And he had a great role model in Jeff Ochoa. Then if you look at verse 19 at this church at Thyatira, we see that he lo- they loved one another. They had a proper faith in Jesus Christ, which led them to serve one another and build up the body of Christ. And they also, as it says here in verse 19, persevered, meaning they had patience under trial. In other words, they would not give up. And so it led God to say to them, I know. I know your deeds. I can see. I can see your love. I can see your faith. I can see your service. I can see your perseverance. And I can see that you are growing. The deeds that you have done now are greater than the deeds you did at first. Listen, if you look at Thyatira from this point of view, if we study it this way, we see that it looks like a healthy, spirit-filled church. What more could the Lord want? But look what the Lord says, as we're going to see next time, please. Verse 20, But this I have against you, and we will see exactly what it is that they tolerated. You see, what had happened was what will happen within a church when you compromise and tolerate sin within your within your four walls, you will then become intertwined with the thinking of the world and the world's point of view, and, and you'll miss the very blessings of God, the, the power that He wants to pour out in your life, the harmony that He wants to have, and the love within the body of Christ. Christian, we need to take a good hard look at these churches and walk in fear. That is fear of tolerating and compromising sin, not only within our lives, but within our church. Because compromise with one's life will sooner or later bring about a tolerance of sin. And it begins in the heart. And then it moves outward into our actions. And then if we do not repent, it becomes, it becomes a part of us. Never forget what Joseph said to Potiphar's wife. When she tried to entice him, when she finally got him there in her, let's say it was her bedroom, I don't know, but when she finally got him all alone and she grabbed him by his cloak and she said, lie with me. And he said, how can I do this great evil and sin against my God? And he fled from her. He ran left his cloak and his garment in her hand, the Bible says. Joseph would not compromise, so he would not tolerate sin. So he ran and he fled, and that's, that's repentance, folks. That's moving away from the temptation 
moving away from the sin. So I asked myself a question. Are, are you running from your sin or are you running towards it? Do you compromise? Do you say, it's okay, I'll, ah, I'm going to do it so I'll confess it in the morning. Or I'll confess it before I go to sleep. I don't want you to say or nod, but if you've done that, shame on you. I'll never forget, we were, we were, I was having, this was a long, long time ago. You'll never know who it is. I would never tell you. But we were having a Bible study with the Rams. I'll tell you that much. And the, and the Bible study grew. It grew to a, a goodly number of guys. And we were all in there, and we were doing this study, and one of the guys uh, that didn't come very often, he came some, but he didn't come all the time, and he, he kind of poked his head in in the room that we were over at the training camp over here with the Rams, and he said, hey, guys, he said, would you pray for me? He said, I'm going out. He was going to go to this bar, I guess. He says, I think I got a sure thing, and I want you to pray that everything works out. I'm leading this study. My, 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 my jaw fell. I'm, what am I going to say? I, thank God for Jackie Slater. Jackie Slater was on the team. Jackie Slater was a big offensive tackle. He was about... 270 pounds and just a man's man and just loved the Lord. And he went up to him and said, wait one minute. And he grabbed him by his shoulders and kind of even almost lifted him off the ground and said, you ain't going nowhere. You're sitting by me through this study. <laughs> he sat him down by him and he put his arm around him. That guy couldn't budge. He says, I, I got to go. I got to go. Jackie said, mm, you ain't going. You're not going anywhere. He thought he would be able to deal with the sin that he did and then have us pray for him and then he could confess it later on. That's what he thought. We, when, when he stayed, that's what his explanation was. So we did a whole study on, on what that really meant to, be for, to ask for forgiveness and what does it mean to, to flee from sin. You think you can sin and know that you're in the middle of sin and say, oh, I'll confess it later on, or do you turn and run from it? If you don't turn and run from it, sooner or later you will not only compromise, but then you will tolerate it within your own life. It'll seep into your family. It'll seep into the very fabric of our church, and it'll be intertwined within our church unless we deal with it and and not allow someone who is in sin to continue in sin, but confront it. May I say to you, as it says in verse 25, may, may we all, God forbid, may we be a people that, that walk in this, this tolerance of sin and compromising our own lives. May we rather hold fast to the things of God until He comes. And so when you come to this church, that's kind of what we want from us. We're not here just to make nice. We're here to find out what does the Bible teach? And how can we become better men and women that walk with our God in righteousness? How can we become like Joseph and flee from any temptation, flee from anything that might be sin? And when we are in sin, repent, turn from it, go the other way. I want to close with this story.
It's a doozy. I might have told you it before. I had a Bible study. This is further back than the first one I told you about with the Rams. It was with a group of people that, again, I want to tell you what, what it was because it was terrible. And it grew. It grew. It really grew beyond our wildest dreams. And we had ball players from all over this community, different teams, not only the Dodgers and the Angels, but guys that came and, and, and lived here in the wintertime. And that was a lot of guys. And they would come to the study. And one night when we were having our study, that Kay got, my wife got a call from one of the women and said, I, I want to um, I want to stay afterwards. Um, I found out that my wife, my husband is cheating on the, ro- on the road. He's having an affair. And I'm afraid to confront him alone. I want to do it in, with you two there to help me. <laughs> I looked at Kay and she looked at me when she told me this and I said, oh, wow. That's going to be a fun evening, huh? Sure enough, they stayed afterwards. She made him stay. He didn't know what for. She just blindsided him, told him, she said, I, uh, I know you're, you have an affair. He first said, no, I'm not. I looked him in the eyes. I said, you lie to her one more time. We're going to go outside. Don't lie. He ended up saying yes. She asked only one thing of him, that she could go on all the road trips with him just to stay with him. And he said, no, I don't think that's possible. And I said, well, then you only have one choice. You only have one choice with what you must do with your life. And I said, you've got to quit baseball tonight. You got to, oh, I told you he's a baseball player. You've got to quit. You gotta, well, you would never guess. You've you got to quit tonight. You can't play anymore. And he, he loved to play ball. And... Um, in the process of the time that evening, it went way late into the night. He ended up falling on his knees before her and asking her forgiveness and, and said she could go on any and every road trip he ever had. He'd fly her anywhere. and didn't care what it cost. Ladies, I'll never understand you as long as I live. She forgave him. I don't know a man on the face of this earth that would have done that. She forgave him. I'll tell you the end of this story, which is just amazing. You see, I told him there's only one thing he has to do. He has to get away from the sin. Like if you were at a bowling alley and you went bowling, and every week you went bowling, there was a bar there, and the, the girl that worked behind the bar was kind of attracted, and you found yourself looking at her more than you should, you got to stop bowling, or at least go to another bowling alley. I told him he had to stop playing ball. Well, they worked it out by the grace of God, and we receive Christmas cards from them every year. It's been years and years now. They have now two sons that have grown into men who now we see their, their sons, wives, and their family in the pictures. And I think back at that time, I think back, and now that that guy is now an, either a deacon or an elder. I, I'm not sure. In his church, where they live, they live out of state. And he absolutely loves the Lord. He really put into practice repentance. And he received 
the gift of forgiveness from his wife. And they have a family. And I think about that all the time around Christmas time when I receive the card. And I think about God's grace. May you and I hold fast to the things of God until he comes and gets us again or until we go to be with him. Father, this is a mighty lesson we learn out of this church at Thyatira. May we never forget that we need to be a group of people who cannot, as Joseph says, do this evil in the sight of his God, our God. May we not compromise with sin and may we not tolerate it, not here in our church, not in our lives, not in our families. And may we uh, love you, Father, more than life itself. And Father, when I say in my prayer to you, I love these people with all my heart. I thank you that you've given me the opportunity to be at this church at this time with these people. Would you bless us all, Father? And may we bless you, we pray in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. I love you all more than I can tell you. Have a great day, and I'll see you next week. God bless you. Thanks for being here.